Hello, and welcome to Rethink Games with Scott Novus. And of course, I'm Scott Novus. <laughs> I say that every week. Welcome back to my series on starting a recreational esports program, or at least starting an esports program. It doesn't have to be recreational, but that's my focus. I love video games, and I love the whole idea of people coming together and making friends with people that share their interests. And I've learned that that is not only a kid thing, that runs through the whole age gamut. It's a human thing. So this week, I'm going to continue my series of that seven parts. And we're going to dive into part number five. We're going to talk about process. And just to give you a quick catch up, I've been talking about people, purpose, place, platforms was last week. This week, we're going to talk about our process. Next week, we're going to dig into a little bit more about progress. And finally, we're going to dive into play. So let's talk about process. One of the things that catches people off guard when they, they step into esports and look, it's complex. There's no doubt about it. And in some ways, we'd love to draw analogies to traditional sports. In other ways, it completely breaks. There's just things that don't map over particularly well. And so one of the challenges that we often run into is rules, okay? So when you're laying out a competition, everybody wants to know what are the rules of the game? It's interesting that we have video games, so they have the rules are baked into the software. It should be obvious, but it's not. It turns out that you need to spend some time understanding what the competitive rule sets are for competition. And there are different rule sets at different levels. What adds to this is sort of an odd mix of nobody can own football, the sport. The NFL has their rule set and their variation. The NCAA has their rule set and their variation. The junior colleges have their own variation. High schools, theirs, down to peewee. So the sport of football is sort of available to all people come together into an organization and set the rules. Baseball is very similar. I often joke Little League is not really baseball. It is a game designed for kids to look like baseball. And it's good enough. It's actually designed to meet their needs. And that's what you want. You want a challenging, fun activity that meets the needs of the audience you're trying to engage. Now, with these sports, you have video game publishers and developers. They can own the game. They do own the game. And consequently, they have a crazy amount of influence over how competitions will be set up or what competitions will be available or how things work. You run the full gamut of video games that have been, I don't want to call them orphaned, but they're no longer actively developed by the publisher. Smash Brothers Melee, Super Smash Brothers Melee. That's over 20 years old. Still a vibrant community of people that compete with that game, but clearly Nintendo is no longer actively developing and in some ways frowns upon a 20-year-old game being played. They want you to play the new game that they've made. And when you look at games like League of Legends or Fortnite, often you need a server key. Overwatch has the same. If you want to set up a private competition with only the people you know, you need special permission to do that from the publisher. So there's a level of complexity that when you start getting into esports, doesn't exist in traditional sports. Traditional sports, you can buy a rule book, buy some equipment. If you've got the facilities, have at it, run your program. Well, when you're getting into esports, it's a little more involved. So let's go through what some of the critical elements are. 
What we recommend is number one, become aware of what are the most common competitive rule sets used in tournament play in your area. There are some amazing national tournaments, Genesis, Evo, you can go on down the list. These tend to draw the best competitors from around the world. Obviously, Dota 2 is the, uh, the international. League of Legends has its championship, so does Overwatch. So there's varying levels of support. EA publishes what they call competitive community guidelines. So there's different types of support from different publishers. But what you want to do is get in tune with, this is why number one, people is so important. If you've got that passionate club coach or that passionate captain or the person that games, very likely they're going to be able to guide you to what are the competitive rule sets that are available. Smash Brothers Ultimate, I think, is a fantastic example in that there's probably a billion ways to configure that game, but there's only a few configurations that are used in competitive play. Turn off random items, switch from time mode to stock mode, and a couple other things that happen. Banning certain levels, certain characters. I mean, there's just guidelines that the competitors use to establish what they consider to be fair and balanced play. Every game has this. So one of the things you're going to want to do is, is you identify the games that you're going to offer in your program, the games you're going to support. It's important that you establish somewhere the rules and the guidelines that the community is expected to compete with. That wants to be publicly available. It wants to be shown out. I'll give a shout out to Kent State. Did a phenomenal job right on their intramural page of making every single rule set for every single game available. They did a great job in a standardized format because you want everybody on the same page. One of the challenges we've run into in operating traditional sport games, so this is one of these things we, we, we see. If you have a game that's League of Legends, the game is the game. What you can do in the game, you can do in the game. If the game allows it, it's allowed. And the publisher works very, very actively to make sure that there's no exploits. And if they, people find exploits or things that are unbalanced, they fix it right away. Now, sports simulation games are trying to simulate a real sport, but they're software. So they have to take shortcuts. There's just things they have to do to translate a physical activity onto a controller or mouse or keyboard. And consequently, you'll end up with something where the video game doesn't match reality, just flat out. You could do things in the game you can't do in the real world, or there's things that end up being imbalanced in the game compared to the real world, or they are imbalanced in the real world and the game faithfully replicates that, but that makes it unfun for competition. So oftentimes you'll run into guidelines aren't necessarily around the software, but the behaviors of the players of what's allowed and what's not allowed. So this becomes a really significant part is that the key thing is you want to know what the competitive rule sets are for the games you're interested in. How are they played in tournaments? That's a great, where people are professionals earning money, that's a great frame of reference for, that's serious. People put a lot of thought into how to make that work. So that's a great frame of reference. So you want to find those things. You may want to make adaptions for your community, what is best for your people. And you can often look to colleges, universities to get some reference, some ideas of what information are out there. And you're going to want to have a space where people can find this information. You want it publicly available. You want to make sure this is posted so people know what the competitive rules are. So unfortunately, it's not as simple as just jump in and grab a, you know, grab a controller and go. But let's be honest, traditional sports isn't either. Very often, I participated in some really bizarre 
rule interpretations that got into Little League. Well, you can get to the edges of people's understanding very quickly when the competition is very serious. If you doubt me, spend some time sitting through a Little League World Series playoff and you will see managers and umpires and everybody pulling out green books and look it up. Here's a way to put it in context. The rules for Major League Baseball are about 126 pages long. The umpire's manual to interpret those rules is over 750. So you want to start with the simplest thing. Here's the rules as we understand them. And as part of that process, this is why you want to have the club president and you want to have somebody from your uh, organization, whether it's the city or the school or whatever, is backing them up. You need a process for clarifying the interpretation of those rules. So when you're building a healthy community, you want to anticipate upfront how you're going to treat it fairly, how if somebody has a dispute or a misunderstanding or there is a real violation of rules, how it'll be handled. All of those things fall into your process. It's just, it's worth taking a little time to find a frame of reference. How do the best in the world handle it? Adapt that to your needs and make sure there's a good escalation process. And I recommend a minimum of three people be involved if there's any kind of dispute that you get that sorted out. And the goal, one of the things we encourage to build community is very often people that are bringing an issue are really, really, really upset. And it's easy to see them as disruptors and, 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 and haters and, oh, they're just trying to cause grief. But often what they are is they're very, very passionate about their game. They're very passionate about the competition. And they're lobbying, maybe not with the best skills, not professional politicians or lawyers or even probably negotiators. They're arguing from their understanding what they believe is best. And we encourage recognizing that passion, recognizing that commitment for excellence, recognizing the human being behind it, giving it consideration, and then sharing what the result is of the interpretation. We have found that process to be very successful, is basically, you believe this, this is why you believe it, we can respect that. However, as the committee overlooking this sport, here's the decision we are making, which we believe is in the best interest of the community overall. And that process we have found resolves most disputes. Is everybody happy? Come on, of course not, it's competition. However, what it does is if we treat people with respect, very often they, we get the best possible response that's available to us. So I like to say I have yet to find a situation that's improved by getting upset, and I have not found a situation that is made worse by treating people with respect. So we go through it, quick recap, you're going to need to know the rules. You're going to have to make them publicly available. And you're going to want a process for resolving or addressing disputes in a timely fashion that are raised by the competitive community. That is going to be really important. It's going to be, you want to make sure those things are in alignment with your overall league purpose and that they're true to you and your organization. So I hope you uh, found that valuable today. Um, that's my seventh pillar, that's not the seventh, that's the fifth pillar of starting a community sports program. And I'll have another episode for you next week. And we're going to dive into progress. How do people get better? So if you like this, you can find more information um, about me at scottnovis.com. I now write regularly and publish to Medium. You can find that on social media. I publish links all the time. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. And you, know, you can hit me up on Facebook as well. I'm not hiding. I would love to help you with your program. If you've got any questions, reach out. And my company is bravest.com. And I'm also the founder of GameTruck, which you can find at GameTruck.com. 
We love to help people play together and I'd love to help you build a great esports program.